From the State Capitol, WFSU Public Media brings you Capitol Report. Governor Ron DeSantis sets out his priorities during his inaugural speech, much to the delight of his supporters and distress of his opponents. They're going to be looking at this dichotomy as, is his conservatism going to be dominated by the cultural trend and will he get more to the right? Also this week, among the governor's aims, stripping all traces of so-called wokeness from Florida's institutions of higher education. We will never surrender to the woke mob. Florida is where woke goes to die. We'll also hear from former Florida Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed on what she plans to do after elected office and learn about the retirement of one of Key West's most exotic characters. I'm Tom Flanagan, and this is Capitol Report. When Governor Ron DeSantis was first sworn into office four years ago, he vowed to protect Florida's environment, support law enforcement, expand school choice, build a more conservative Florida Supreme Court, and invest in skills-based educational programs. Earlier this week, he promised to continue the work he's done in his first four years during his second inaugural speech. Valerie Crowder has more on what we're likely to see in the first year of DeSantis's second term. DeSantis won his first election for governor by less than half a percentage point. Four years later, he won re-election by nearly 20 points. Speaking in front of the old Capitol Tuesday, he credited his victory to the work he's done during his first four years. We have articulated a vision for a free and prosperous state. We have, through persistence and hard work, executed on that vision. We have produced favorable results. And now we are here today because the people of Florida have validated our efforts in record fashion. At the start of his first term, DeSantis also vowed to focus on education and supporting law enforcement, which won support from many. Leona Stewart is a Republican voter from Hillsborough County. She campaigned for DeSantis and attended his second inauguration. She says she believes he's the best governor the state's had in years. Oh my gosh, with a mask, with the jobs, with so many things. The way he is for kids, I mean, just so many things. Everything that he says he's going to do, he does. And now DeSantis has even more support in the legislature to enact his agenda. That's because Republicans now have a supermajority in the House and Senate. Tampa-based political scientist Susan McManus says people outside Florida will be watching how DeSantis governs in his second term as he's widely considered a likely presidential contender. And that attention is expected to influence how he governs. They're going to be looking at this dichotomy as, is his conservatism going to be dominated by the cultural trend and will he get more to the right than he already is or will the concern be more about the economy and that conservatism on lowering taxes, deregulation. Regardless of what DeSantis prioritizes, Democrats in the legislature have very little leverage to block anything the governor sets out to accomplish, McManus explains. The only leverage that Florida Democrats really have right now is public opinion and the reliance upon the media to get their message out. 
Following DeSantis's inauguration, the state's Democratic Party issued a statement claiming DeSantis's next four years promises to be a, quote, disaster for the state. Democrats say DeSantis has made the state more expensive while distracting people with divisive culture wars. Still, McManus says bipartisanship is possible on several issues. And some of the big issues that there is bipartisan concern about would be things like affordable housing and keeping Florida's growth going and protecting the environment and watching out for water quality. Another one of those bipartisan issues is tax relief for the state's families. DeSantis has proposed continuing and expanding upon tax holidays again this year. The proposal would give Florida families more than a billion dollars in tax relief, including a permanent tax break on baby and toddler items. That particular tax proposal was originally championed by Democrats in the legislature. I'm Valerie Crowder. Governor Ron DeSantis is asking to see all the programs related to diversity, equity, and inclusion, along with critical race theory, in the state's public higher education system. He also wants to know if those programs are being funded with state money and how much. The request comes days after the governor promised to keep cracking down on so-called woke ideology. His ask is being met with fear, outrage, and skepticism across both the college and university system. Taryn Fenske, the governor's communications director, recently defined woke as, quote, a slang term for activism, progressive activism. The word came into use by African-Americans in the 1930s as a warning to stay alert to racial discrimination and violence. Today, it's used so broadly it's lost that historical meaning, says Tallahassee Community College history professor Andrea Oliver. In my opinion, that's regrettable because I think if you're going to mount opposition to something, you should really have a full understanding of what it is you're opposing. The same goes for critical race theory, CRT for short. That's an academic framework used in law schools and graduate programs to examine the impact of race and law. Today, Oliver says it's a catch-all phrase. To describe those parts of our history that I think some people would rather us not talk about uh, or they feel as if uh, by telling students about some of the, the more unsavory parts of, of America's past, that we are somehow criticizing this country, and it's therefore unpatriotic. CRT in political terms has become almost synonymous with woke. In his second inaugural address, DeSantis promised to continue his crackdown on that ideology. We seek normalcy, not philosophical lunacy. We will not allow reality, facts, and truth to become optional. We will never surrender to the woke mob. Florida is where woke goes to die. Lumped into that ideology are efforts surrounding DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. State lawmakers targeted DEI and CRT last year in a law called the Stop Woke Act. It placed limits on how issues of race and history can be taught in public schools. It banned private employers from mandating employee trainings that compel people to believe members of another race, color, a nationality, or sex are inherently racist or sexist. 
Andrew Gothard, president of the United Faculty of Florida, believes the governor's request to identify CRT and DEI programs is an attempt at further silencing viewpoints he doesn't agree with. And while students are required to learn lots of different ideas and to understand what they mean, that doesn't mean they have to agree with all of those ideas, and that also doesn't mean that they have to make all of those ideas a part of their core identity. In November, a federal judge blocked the Stop Woke Act from going into effect, calling it, quote, positively dystopian. Gothard worries if the Florida legislature decides to defund DEI efforts in public schools and higher education, there could be a clash with the federal government. A lot of these programs that are related to DEI in particular are vital to the function of the university, right? If you're looking at, you know, an an administrative office that handles diversity, equity, and inclusion issues, they also handle, you know, the American Disability Act accommodations. They handle EEOC complaints of gender discrimination. Like there, there are federal dollars and federal requirements tied up in all of this. The battle over DEI, CRT, and other such buzzwords is the culmination of factors like social and racial justice movements and economic changes that have depressed largely white rural communities. Demographic and culture value shifts have also led to clashes between generations and perspectives on society as a whole. And all of these have bred resentment. Politicians have exploited these fault lines. Oliver, the history professor, wonders whether Florida's higher education system can weather the onslaught. Challenges to especially those liberal arts disciplines, such as the one that that I work with in, in English and literature and the humanities, these challenges aren't new. The source of the challenges, however, you know, they have changed. This is definitely, I think, going to negatively impact the state's ability to attract and retain talented scholars. And that, she says, would be a loss for Florida's students. I'm Lynn Hatter. Remember the dispute between Governor Ron DeSantis and the Disney folks over wokeness? Well, Florida lawmakers are moving forward with plans that would give the state more control over the Reedy Creek Improvement District. Remember, that's uh, what Governor Ron DeSantis targeted last year after the Walt Disney Company criticized his controversial education law. A notice posted today by the legislature on Osceola County's website outlined potential changes that might keep the framework of the special district, but make a series of changes, such as the state dictating who would run the district. Also, the changes would make clear that the district's debt could not be transferred to nearby local government. All this while raising the possibility of a new name for Reedy Creek. Coming up on Capitol Report, newly enacted education policy in Florida is bumping up against at least some of the state's older education policies. And this was pretty stunning because the material covered in those textbooks included state-mandated instruction. The only non-Republican on the Florida cabinet, Nikki Freed, considers her next life chapter now that she's out of office. Using my voice, my knowledge of Ron DeSantis uh, to help national Democrats if he so happens to decide to run and, God forbid, gets through the primary. And a Key West institution, the city's longest performing drag queen, is calling it quits. I don't enjoy it anymore. So I thought 25 years, silver anniversary, perfect timing.
through new state laws, inflammatory rhetoric, and political appointments, Governor Ron DeSantis has significantly expanded his influence over local education policy. Parental rights activists seized on legislation approved by DeSantis to challenge books and curriculum they don't agree with. And a number of the governor's allies and appointees now hold key seats on county school boards. WLRN's Kate Payne and Wilkin Brutus talked about what the new year could bring on Florida's educational front. The Parental Rights and Education Act, also known as the Don't Say Gay Bill by critics, uh, what sort of impact did it have on Florida schools? Right. So this law, again, bans classroom instruction on gender identity and sexual orientation in kindergarten through third grade and in other grades if it's not considered age or developmentally appropriate. And we've seen a good deal of impacts across South Florida. You know, for many parent activists, it's emboldened them to really use this term age appropriate as a weapon to target policies and and curriculum they don't agree with. Many of these activists specifically have been trying to limit LGBTQ issues in the classroom, you know, ending any discussion of of LGBTQ issues. Um, And we've seen opposition to books, to curriculum, um, teaching of comprehensive sex education, as well as LGBTQ inclusive instruction. And with the creation of this bill, we've seen a push and focus on parental rights. What influence have parents uh, had on schools this year? Yeah, so I think one of the most striking examples of this uh, was when the Miami-Dade County School Board voted to toss out its own curriculum on comprehensive sex education. And that was in response to complaints by activists who claimed that the material wasn't age appropriate and took issue specifically with uh, instruction on birth control, for one. And this was pretty stunning because the material covered in those textbooks included state mandated instruction. And for a time, it left the district without a curriculum. So initially, you know, the board rejected those textbooks, but a a few days later, the chair at the time called another meeting and changed her vote. And so the books were approved. But she's one of the members who's not on the board anymore. So I think we can expect, you know, this issue to to come back again. So many moving pieces here. Uh, Will we continue to see this focus um, into the new year? Yeah, I mean, a a number of the candidates who ran on parental rights platforms won their races. And, you know, they were uh, aligning themselves with Governor Ron DeSantis and, you know, this greater movement to restrict certain books and curriculum, um, again, to restrict discussions of LGBTQ issues, conversations about identity, about history. Um, And this is a a tactic and a, a movement that we've seen across the country um, you know, there, there are some who will say the election is over and that this will die down. Of course, there's lots of speculation about the governor running for president. Do elections ever end in Florida? I don't know. But, you know, some, some teachers tell me they see this as part of a, a concerted effort to undermine public education more broadly and, and an attempt to, to redirect students and redirect public funding towards private and, and charter schools. Do elections ever end in Florida? That is the question, right? (laughs) Could we see more influence from the state and school boards in the coming year? 
Absolutely. Um, I think, you know, DeSantis has made it clear that he's not shy about removing local elected officials from office, you know, between the the Broward School Board members, as well as the, the Hillsborough County state attorney who was removed for some of his statements on abortion rights. And I, I do think that's something that's hanging over board members as they're trying to navigate complying with these new state laws that many of them personally do not agree with. And, you know, while there are still questions about the constitutionality of these laws. That was WLRN's Wilkin Brutus and Kate Payne speaking on Florida's education policy. Former State Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed spent four years as Florida's only statewide elected Democrat. Her term just ended. She chose not to run for re-election and instead ran an unsuccessful race for governor. In the Deeper Dive from Dara Cam podcast from City and State Florida, Freed reflects on her time in office and gives us a peek into her next move. What's next for you? I know you're involved in this uh, abortion, the constitutional amendment. And then, then I want to talk about some of the things that you have accomplished during your tenure. And again, thank you for joining me today. Of course. Um, what, what, do you, what, what do you have up your sleeve? A couple of things. Uh, first off, we started the Won't Back Down PC right after the primary um, for really two purposes. One is to help the down ballots because that was what I was preaching all throughout the primary. Um, that it's, you know, so many people in the Democratic Party always talks about it's if the top of the ticket wins, so does everybody else. And I've always had a different approach that it has to be the bottom of the ticket up because the bottom of the ticket is the one who, you know, I'm talking about the House, the Senate candidates, the city, mm-hmm. county commissioners, even the cabinet are the ones who are going to more organizing events, are going to the communities. And and so I knew that that support was not going to be there from the coordinated. And so we wanted to make sure we were elevating voices that were being left behind. Uh, so we um, worked on about 25 different campaigns where I went to, did press conferences with them, did call time, did door knocking, um, did events with them. And so that was through Won't Back Down and gave donations and then also started working on the constitutional amendment. And so that's kind of going to be sort of my brand as, as the generality going forward. Um, working on some other things as far as, you know, we have a 2024 election coming up. Um, Want to make sure that we are in a right position, not just here in Florida, but more importantly, across the country at this point. Um, using my voice, my knowledge of Ron DeSantis uh, to help national Democrats if he so happens to decide to run and, God forbid, gets through the primary, uh, what that looks like in a general election um, for president in 2024. Um, so kind of some of those conversations, and I've been reached out to a, a lot of the uh, individuals in agriculture who may want to get into actually the cannabis space, um, both for the medical program as well as for um, whether it's the CBD or hemp side of things in the industrial. So I'm going to kind of be doing some of that stuff, maybe advising and being consultants of some of those uh, while I kind of figure out how to help Florida Democrats without being the head of the party. <laughs> um, okay, well, a lot to unpack there. I wanted to ask a little bit about that constitutional amendment that would enshrine in the state constitution a right to abortion. I don't know. I'm sorry. I don't. I wrote it down and I can't find it. But that who who would be the main. Uh, supporter of that kind of an endeavor. 
it's going to right now, there's a, a very broad coalition, um, you know, really kind of anchored by Planned Parenthood. Right. Um, but it's going to be a lot of different organizations that have been doing like the Women's of Southwest Florida Voices or you know, there's an organization down there. Um, my organization, um, there's a couple others that have popped up across the state. Um, so there's a lot of people that are involved in that. There, there's individuals that are past Supreme Court justices, individuals that have been involved in other previous constitutional amendments. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be a very broad coalition. And right now it's getting through because, as we know, the Republicans have made it every single cycle. It's diff- more difficult to get it it's on the ballot. It's spendy too, Nikki. Yep. It's a, you mean, you're talking about maybe like... Tens of millions. I was going to say like yeah. 40, 50 million dollars if you really want to win it. Yeah. And it's 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 not an issue that has to be as educated on because like, it's true. You know, if you, if you had true. like the the amendments dealing with solar or the amendments dealing with uh, gaming, those are a little bit more complicated mm-hmm. to unravel for for the general electorate, but abortion rights um, are much easier to digest That's and to true. understand. That was former Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed in an excerpt from the Deeper Dive with Derek Cam podcast, a production of City and State Florida. You can hear the full episode wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Capital Report from WFSU Public Media. I'm Tom Flanagan. Finally this week, Key West has some very big and quite flashy shoes to fill now that its most famous drag queen has retired. WLRN's Gwen Filosa has that story. The last 25 consecutive years, Sushi the drag queen has dropped inside a giant red high heel in downtown Key West as the clock ticks down to midnight on New Year's Eve. It's actually a giant shoe that is lowered 15 feet from a bar's second-floor balcony. Sushi wore silver from head to toe this year for her silver anniversary. Thousands of people cheered her on outside the Bourbon Street pub on Duval Street. My name's Gary Marion, a.k.a. Sushi. I've been a drag queen here in Key West, well, for 30 years. Marion is an institution in Key West's gay community. He runs a drag cabaret at a different bar. He created the drag character Sushi, and now, after a quarter century, he decided to retire from the annual New Year's performance. I sat down with him to find out what Sushi has meant to this island, and to Marion himself. 25 rides, is it? 25 rides, is it? You know, the last few years, it's just been stressful, and I've never been a public person. You know, I did it for the money. (laughs) You know, it was a, a good way to make a living. So, but I've never enjoyed being on stage or having everybody look at me. I'm just not that kind of a person. I'm more of an introvert. Well, well, why exactly are you retiring? When did you decide? I don't enjoy it anymore. So I thought 25 years, silver anniversary, perfect timing. That's a quarter of a century. You know, I can say I sat in a shoe for a quarter of a century. You know, that's just amazing to me. Why is it a red high heel, or how did this shoe? I think it has to do with um, Wizard of Oz, Ruby Slipper. I think it also ties in with Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, with a big silver heel. The owner, Joey Schroeder, decided to do this event, and at the time, I was still the janitor at the club. I was still mopping the floor seven days a week, doing drag once a week. Uh, And I said, sure, I'll sit in the shoe. 
Can you describe what it feels like when the crowd is cheering you on and you're in that shoe and it's about to be midnight? You see all these people, but I still feel alone because I'm alone in the shoe, away from the crowd. And that's one of the things I, I don't like about it. But it's amazing t- to see the response from the audience. Because some people, it's like the first time they've seen a drag queen. I've, I've had kids come to the show, and now they're like 30, and they're like, Sushi, you were the first drag queen I ever saw. It was amazing. Uh, I really want to thank you for that, because it opened my eyes to the gay community. There's a different dress every year that you make, correct? Yes. <clears throat> Do you have an all-time favorite, favorite or something that's nostalgic? or? I got some Chanel fabric the first time I went to Paris. And it was this raised purple ribbon with lime green hand-sewn petals on black lace. And it was fabulous. It was one of, one of my favorite dresses. But one of my drag queens was dying. And she said, "If I, when I die, I want to be buried in that dress. So my favorite dress went to a drag queen named Destiny. And... Um... In 2015, I think it was, Sushi dropped wearing a white wedding gown? Yes, I got married. I made my wedding gown because I told my husband of 20 years, I said, I'm not getting married till it's legal all over the United States. And I said, it's legal now. We have the lights. We have the sound. We have the crowd. All our friends are going to be there. So let's uh, have our wedding. And so I had my wedding before I got in the shoe. It was an amazing moment. Are there any fashion regrets? I have worn three dresses off the rack. One year I had to buy, I, I bought a dress because I was right in the middle of the movie. I had to be out of my house January 1st. So I bought a dress, but I, I, I stoned it with like 3,000 rhinestones. So, but all the dresses that I bought off the rack, I regret. I should have taken the time to make, make a dress. You have helped a lot of people in the LGBTQ community. You're very quiet about it. I know you've helped house people who need housing yes i yeah most of my drag queens have come through and live with me i bought a house two years ago my front room i turned into the emergency room so when people get kicked out of their apartments or houses or whatever they're renting i have a room now there's somebody staying there right now Drag in Florida has been under attack by far-right groups, even Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. What's it been like seeing that emerge, that criticism? It's, I, you know, I, I don't understand the kid thing, you know. If it's your child and you don't want them to see a drag queen, fine, that's your, that's your prerogative. But don't demonize us because we're living our life to our true selves. I, you know, it's sad to see that we're taking a couple of steps back. So I, the only thing I can say, I'm sorry, I'm living my life, you know, but get off my back. <laughs> Do you see yourself as a, a political figure in LGBTQ? Or? I really never did see myself as a political figure, I thought, I'm just a drag queen in a shoe, you know, living my life and trying to do my best to create a safe space for drag queens at work for me. You know, I've had hundreds of drag queens come through my doors. So, no, I've never been really political. Maybe I should start. (laughs) Gary Marion, who portrays the sushi character, 
says there will be a contest during Pride Month in June to select a successor. But Marion has promised to return as sushi in another 25 years for the 50th drop. I'll be 80 years old, and then I'll retire. But every year from now on, I'm going to travel someplace special. Next year, I've already have about 10 or 15 friends of mine who, who are going to meet, meet me in front of the Eiffel Tower in Paris. So then it's going to be Rome in front of the Colosseum, then the pyramids. So you'll see sushi, but not in Key West. So 25 years representing Key West has been amazing. And I never thought as a 10-year-old gay boy that I would become a drag queen in a shoe in this beautiful island. So I'm grateful and astonished about who Sushi became. And I just want to thank everybody. Even the haters. <laughs> I'm Gwen Filosa in Key West. Our regular Capitol Report correspondents are Valerie Crowder, Gina Jordan, Lynn Hatter, Regan McCarthy, and Margie Menzel. Thanks also to Kate Payne, Wilkin Brutus, and Gwen Filosa. Technical assistance for Capitol Report comes from Evan Rossi, and I'm Tom Flanagan. Please join us again next week for more reports from the State Capitol. Capital Report is a production of WFSU Public Media in Tallahassee.